Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. You know what else is a win? Talking to you two. Always. Aw. Right back at you, Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to the love fest that is Tis the Podcast. The podcast that is determined to keep the spirit of Christmas alive 365 days a year. I'm Tom. I'm Julia. I'm Anthony. This is our last episode of January, y'all. What? We are one twelfth through twenty twenty two already. Wait, is that accurate? Drop it on the twenty fifth. Nope, I lied. Twenty fourth. I was looking at the wrong day. I'll take all Drop that it out. On the twenty fourth, and then there's the thirty first. That's right. Because we, we have we have five weeks, five Mondays this month. <laughs> Last week we ended with a debacle about how long until Christmas, and now we're like, how long is left in January? <laughs> Might be my favorite Tis the Podcast moment, by the way. Our I'm glad you left it disintegration in. <laughs> as a team of men. You know nerds. what? There are, there are 11 months till Christmas. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, done. We can't do it. It's just too hard. There's, there's a re- that's what she said. And there's a reason we all majored in English. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that stuff is nonsense. I don't trust it. I will say, though, about. Tom's mistake just then. January has been going pretty fast. I can't believe it's already the twentieth tomorrow from the night we're recording. So. I'm glad it's been fast for you. It has not been fast for me. Why has it not been fast for you, Julia? It's you always seem many... so busy. Usually, busy means <laughs> fast for a lot of people. Two. So we got back from our wonderful, awesome vacation, and then just everybody decided to get sick with something. Or another, or multiple somethings or another, and nothing grinds progress to a halt quite like having sick kids. Hey, pause it for a second. So, how's everybody? Your kids are sick, Julia. I know it's a bummer, but they're all getting better. And if we could just figure out if we're going to be virtual or in school or just like something consistent, would really help me out like a whole lot. So. It just makes the month feel very long when everything is up in the air. I saw something funny. Well, you know, I mean, our our governor's coming to to the rescue. Oh, my gosh. He's just saying any state employees can now work in schools. Yeah. It's like that meme that was going around, you know, where it said, Little Caesars, it's hot and ready. And then I'm like, and then it's like, me, is it good? Little Caesars says, (laughs) it's hot hot and it's it's ready. ready. It's like our governor, our students deserve an in-person education. Is it good education? It's in-person and it's education. 
Yeah, because cops need another thing added to their bill of stuff to do that is absolutely not and should not be in their job description. Just like, can we, can we not? More Oklahoma. But we, uh, Ellie is still at home, still doing virtual. Yeah. Poor baby. She's looking like, you know, COVID's going to be pretty bad again. Or still. So we, we're up in the air about a birthday party for her. Oh, oh. I know. She's turning six, right? She's turning six. Crap. Does that make you feel old? No, it just makes me feel sad. Yeah. I like the, I, I like that, that answer. Makes me feel sad because it's like a third of the way until she moves out of our house. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I gotta make the best of these next twelve years. Yeah. Yep. Fortunately, we've got we've had a lot of time together. Yes, a lot of time together. <laughs> <laughs> She's taken to the responsibility of having her own puppy. Love that. She's mm-hmm. just very frustrated that the dog is obsessed with me and uh, follows me everywhere. And because you know, I'm the one who gets up with with her in the night and in the morning and feeds her, and so it bothers Tom. Ellie. Who's not obsessed with you? It's a question I ask myself all the time. It is really, really hard. (laughs) So we did get some good news this week. Uh, Some unexpected news that Tim Allen is returning to the role of Scott Calvin slash Santa Claus in a miniseries for the Santa Claus on Disney Plus. I am all about that. I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with it. Yeah, me too. Well, if our listeners haven't heard about it, the general premise is Scott is on the brink of his 65th birthday and realizing that he can't be Santa forever. He's starting to lose a step in his Santa duties, and more important, he's got a family who could benefit from life in the normal world, especially two kids who have grown up at the pole. With a lot of elves, children, and family to please, Scott sets out to find a suitable replacement Santa while preparing his family for a new adventure in a life south of the pole. Aren't people really just thinking of becoming Santa at 65 years old? I mean, that's just, that seems like a, a, an, a, an entry barrier. So we're seeing that Santa has a very short, like, window to do, to do this, to do Santa things. Very to short. To do Santa things. I, I mean, will feel I thought there was some better sort of... about this. If they announce the rest of the cast is coming back, when they announce the rest of the cast is coming back. Yeah, I'm I can't kinda... handle a wife replacement. No, and also I kind of expected Charlie to become Santa, right? Well, he said he was going into the family business. Right. You can, cha- you can change your mind. You grow I up, guess. right? Your expectations change. You can totally change your mind. But that is also what I thought. That's well, if... If he's feeling like he needs to move away from the pole to better his life or his wife and children. Can we find a better way to word that? Yeah, because it sounds like he's a stripper or something. (laughs) Maybe he, maybe Charlie saw that himself and doesn't want to go into that business. Could be. I just, bring Bernard back over Curtis, telling you now. Oh, yeah, that will be a big misstep if they do not bring Bernard back. Bernard has aged, though. Not well. Uh, I'd still take unaged 
<laughs> not aged well bernard over aged well curtis of any day we got more news and more surprises this week what did we get we saw the trailer for moon knight which mm. looks awesome yeah it does. moon knight looked off looks awesome and I'm very excited we yeah. got our first real glimpse into the lord of the rings the rings of power series we now know what amazon is doing they're doing the backstory of the 20 forged rings Mm-hmm. And Sauron's rise to power, and I cool. am in for this. That's why I want HBO to do with Harry Potter. Do the first war with Voldemort. Or do anything like do you know Voldemort's time at Hogwarts, or do, do Game of Thrones style like the founding of Hogwarts at the Founders back like oh, yeah. medieval times. That would be I cool. Would watch that. I would totally uh, we watch also that. Got- we also got our first look at Batgirl this week, and she looks awesome in her costume. Oh, I did not see that. And she looks great. There's something else this week, too. Uh, Alan Rickman's diaries are confirmed to be published in October of this year, which I knew you were interested in, Julia. And Very Tom. interested. So I'm excited. Disney's really pushing Hocus Pocus 2 by releasing the first book as a novel and illustrated, which the illustrations look very Roald Dolly, which looks yes, very do. cool. So lots of cool stuff for Nerdum this week. So speaking of Nerdum, Scream 5. As you all know from our Scream show, I'm a big fan of that series. I saw mm-hmm. it, I loved it, and I talked about it with our good friend Jay over our Filmstrip podcast. So listeners, check that out. Good friend Jay. Good friend Jay, who we need to get back on the show sooner mm-hmm. rather than later. For sure. We should have had him on to join us for tonight's show, one that I'm sure he has no level of expertise in because it's so far <laughs> outside of what he normally does. Tonight, we are covering the post-World War II 1945 classic Christmas in Connecticut. In this movie... We, we are following two characters for a quick plot synopsis. A food writer lied about being the perfect housewife and has to cover her deception when her boss and a returning when her boss invites a returning war hero to her home in Connecticut for a traditional family Christmas. The war hero leads a nurse uh, along, makes her think he's falling in love with her. So that he can get better food in the hospital. <laughs> She's convinced the reason he doesn't want to marry her is because he's never had a traditional family setting. So she writes to the the owner of this publication who then, again, invites the war hero to come experience a family Christmas. I always appreciate, Tom, how you always come up with your plot synopsis on me and Julia read off Google. <laughs> Would Google have done better on this one? No, no. I thought that was okay. accurate to what was happening in this movie. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we that's what we have. His, let's do histories, and then we'll dive into this a little bit. Have y'all did y'all have any history with this film, or was it all of our first watch? Um, I'd seen it before. It was familiar to me, but it's I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Probably. Uh, I've never seen it. I, it's one of those movies I've heard about. Um, but I just never got around to watching until this morning. What about you, Tom? I, ha- 
I had not either. I got involved. I got interested in this uh, when I read about it a couple years ago, but thought I would wait until we covered it on the podcast. I mean, it is one of those ones that like probably should have been if you're looking at like that should probably probably have been covered earlier. I don't we know. Maybe not. We could talk. Stuff. We gotta save we, some stuff for the later years. We we do. We did. We we tried to get people in engaged in the podcast early on and had a lot of big hits so we've had to bring we've had to that's why we're saving bad santa right Mm. no we're saving bad santa because i don't want to do it we're just not gonna do bad santa all right this movie as i said is coming out hot on the heels of the allies victory over the axis powers in world war ii um, so it's what the country needed. It has a lot of feel good moments. It's, it's, um, it's funny that that's what, when this movie came out, because the first time it ever debuted on television after the fact was 4th of July weekend. So it was, it was always meant to be like a patriotic rousing movie for people huh. to rally behind, cheer people up. And it worked. Well, Apparently it worked. It's a big hit. Um, the movie is directed by Peter Godfrey who was a fairly big name back in the day. He had worked with some of the, the big legends um, like Ingrid Bergman back in, back in uh, the early days of Hollywood directing things like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the woman in white raffles cry wolf. Uh, and then he went on to do a lot of TV stuff later in his career. Um, like the, the, he did some magical world of Disney, some, Ford Television Theater, twenty Fox 20th Century Hour, uh, TV Reader's Digest. Yeah, he died in 1970. His career ended in 1959. It was his last directorial production. The screenplay, the story is written by Eileen Hamilton, uh, who is most well known for this. Also did a screenplay for one episode of The Adventures of Robin Hood. Um, and then Adele Comandini is was part half of the screenwriting team along with Lionel Hauser. Our one of our two stars is Dennis Morgan, who plays Jefferson Jones. Um, he's such an old timey name. Mm-hmm. Gener- generic American name insert here. He was in the. He was in My Wild Irish Rose. It's a great feeling. Cattle Town. The woman is dangerous. Um, God is my co-pilot. And a lot of other movies. And then did some TV stuff. He was in um, an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He was on Twenty One Beacon Street, Saints and Sinners, and he did a role on The Love Boat in nineteen eighty. Hello. <laughs> he plays opposite Barbara Stanwyck, who plays Elizabeth Lane, and she again was a big name in Hollywood for years. She was. She is ranked the eleventh greatest female star of American cinema by the American Film Institute. So she just missed down the top ten, but still pretty high. I mean, when you look at everyone who's come after. Yeah. <laughs> who's number one, Anthony? Oh, it was uh Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly. It was Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn. Okay. Catherine Hepburn, Bette Davis, and Audrey Hepburn are the top three. 
So she was in a she was in quite she had a quite a long career in Hollywood, um, doing stuff like Double Immunity, Ball of Fire, Union Pacific. And then she, okay, can I say about her right now? A, I think she there's something about old timey actresses I find so like attractive. Pervert. No, no, no. I just mean in a way like like she was like how do I, so like a lot of modern movie stars in a lot of modern movies they like put them in tight outfits cleavage everything like mm-hmm. that they were like they're more buttoned up back in the day more classy but they still have that very flirty edge which mm-hmm. very tame by our standards but back then it was probably a lot flirtier than we would consider it now but there's something about her and actresses of this ilk i find very attractive just saying I mean, as far as, quote, wholesome roles go for Barbara Stanwyck, this one was on one the, wholesome the wholesome side of it. Right. So yeah. she was um, she was in Double Indemnity with Frank McMurtry um, as Love the femme fatale. And she is, like, sizzling in that entire movie. I mean, yes, 100%. But, I mean, even compared to by today's standards, it's like there was something yeah. back then about the actresses. Like, they didn't feel the need to flaunt themselves like they do now. Yeah. Which is a different culture thing. I'm not, I'm not even saying it's the actress's choice. Directors, movie making in general has changed. Culture has changed. Everything like mm-hmm. that. But every time yeah. I watch one of these old black and white movies with someone like her or the Hepburns or whoever, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, man, so classy. Like, she she was and just to follow up and piggyback off of what you said julia her role in double indemnity got her ranked number eight on afi's 100 greatest screen heroes and villains list yeah and was number 98 on people magazine's 100 greatest performances of all times in 1944 she earned four hundred thousand dollars and was the government listed her as the nation's highest paid woman like she had she yeah so she was also um, she campaigned hard against FDR. Huh. That's just a little bit of. She was very pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Okay. So. My little bit of trivia for you. Hmm. Well, makes me feel better about her getting bumped for the role of Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind. <laughs> well, she wasn't the first choice for this role either. Who was? It was um, Bette Davis. Oh, okay. But Jen Shoes had actually cast and announced, but then she was replaced a few months later. Huh. Not sure why, but yeah. I will say, too, her comedic acting, hers and Dennis Morgan's, uh, I found myself laughing out loud quite a bit when the two of them were together. Yeah, and they had good chemistry. For sure. They did. They did. Playing Elizabeth Lane's boss and magazine mogul, Alexander Yardley, is Sydney Greenstreet. Um, I did not realize Sydney Greenstreet had only only acted for eight years. Like that was the, the, the duration of his career. But wow. everybody knows him. He was in stuff like Maltese Falcon and Casablanca. Um Yeah, I was just like I said, I was shocked because he is somebody from this this golden age of cinema that I remember. It's also weird to think, as I'm watching this, that he was born in the 19th century. 
Mm-hmm. Of the twenty-three movies he appeared in, nine he co-starred. He co-starred with Peter Lore, which is. Yeah, interesting. I don't know if y'all know this, but his characters in the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca were the inspiration for Jabba the Hutt. What? <laughs> I can see it. I can yeah. see it. Tennessee Williams wrote a one-act play called The Last of My Solid Gold Watches with uh, Sidney Greenstreet in mind and dedicated it to him. So he had a pretty big... Um, pretty big and pretty long lasting um, influence, if not presence in Hollywood. Oh, plus the other thing that I'd read, he was the, um, he was also the inspiration for um, Kingpin, the Kingpin in Marvel cinematic universe. So yeah, we have a lot to be thankful for him for. Including the, the Hut Twins on the new Boba Fett TV series, which <laughs> they're awesome characters. <laughs> Playing John Sloan, the I don't even know how to describe this guy. When we get into him, I've got so many problems with him. Is uh, <laughs> Reginald Gardner Gardner? <laughs> I was convinced the whole time watching this that this guy was like in the original Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street or something. Like he just has that look. He looks like so many actors back in the day. Yeah. Uh, or I see that... I've seen somebody who looks like him in I Love Lucy a million times, like the pretentious <laughs> restaurant maitre d' or something. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? He had oh, a yeah. look. He did have a look. And he was in Hollywood for a long time as well. But um probably my least favorite character in this show, in this movie. Like the one I really didn't like. Um, but he did make an impact as well. He was in a lot of, uh, he ended up doing a lot of TV as TV became more, um, popular stuff like the Phyllis Diller show, Perry Mason, Sergeant Deadhead. He was in, uh, the 1960s Batman. He played Bernie Park in a couple of episodes, pop goes the Joker and flop goes the Joker. And then he <laughs> came on, um, bewitched and petticoat, Jun- petticoat junction. I probably recognize. Sorry. Anyway, I probably recognized him from Bewitched. Okay. Because I've seen that show back and forth. It's just, again, he has that look. Playing... I mean, I've seen Batman back and forth, too. But, I mean, I'm focused on the colorful costumes in that one and not right. necessarily the henchmen. <laughs> Playing Felix Basinek is S.Z. Sockel. And I just have to say, I loved him. He really is Hungarian. All I could think of was Henry Kissinger. (laughs) Um, He came to the U.S. to flee the rise of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi movement. Um, Yeah. He was in a... Shortly after the onset of World War II, he began um, appearing in comedies and musicals, often playing a lovable, uh, somewhat excited and or befuddled uncle as he was in this film. Unfortunately, all three of his sisters died in Nazi concentration camps. They did not get out. Oh, wow. That's he awful. turned down the role for the waiter in Casablanca, but then came back and did it anyway, and that's where he became famous. That's where we all recognize him from. Mm-hmm. At least I do. Man, that's terrible. He did not like American food, so when he was working on a movie, he had his wife cook food from Hungary and bring him lunch and dinner. 
think it's kind of funny. As with other people in this in this film, uh, he is buried in Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, should we jump into the movie? Let's. Is there anyone else? Oh, don't we have to cover the? There's one other character. Oh no, you covered him earlier on. Never mind. Yes, let's jump in. The only other one would be Nora, but she wasn't big enough. I don't think to cover right. Right. No, I agree. Or Dudley. So anyway, the um, the movie opens up. World War Two is is happening. Destroyer gets sunk, and um, two people survive on a little raft for what? What they say, thirteen days. Mm-hmm adrift at sea when they are rescued our hero jeffrey jefferson jones is taken to a hospital and he is not enjoying his time there (laughs) no Uh, he is not who does at a hospital he and uh, his nurse mary are not quite seeing eye to eye on what his uh cuisine should consist of the doctors have said he can't eat and then he's he's next to this guy that they just refer to as Stinky, <laughs> who is having these luxurious meals, and and we see the real point of frustration hit as Jefferson is reading this magazine with an article by Elizabeth Lane about a big elaborate Thanksgiving meal, right? And he's like, "Oh, I want that." He goes so far as you know um, things that we don't hear a lot anymore, like talking about the giblet gravy as a selling point. Yep. I. We've, we've removed the word giblet. I don't think a lot of people like that. It's now typically called turkey gravy or just gravy. Um, but uh, he asked this this guy, Stinky, he's like, how are you getting all this great food? And um, he says, you have to pull a magoo, right? And he's like, what's a magoo? And he says, make her fall in love with you. You know, just play the part. He's like, how far did you have to go with, with them to make this work? He said, how hungry are you? Which... Um, I'm assuming have the same hungry. connotation. I'm assuming yeah. have the same connotation. I'm assuming it's a double entendre, absolutely. Because he, um, it's it's that time period's equivalent to the word thirsty now. How thirsty mm. are you? So he ended up uh, telling Stinky that he had to go all the way with Mary, the nurse. He was originally afraid he was going to break her heart. Uh, but then he decided he was hungry enough it didn't matter, and so he gets the pork chop, and as he's eating his pork chop, he realizes he can't swallow. The doctors were right, and uh, <laughs> and he chokes, so it was all for naught. Well, as time progresses, we see that this has continued, and he's led Mary to believe that they're going to get married, and now she, she's uh, he's afraid, apparently, uh, of making a commitment. So... So she decides, well, if it's because he's never had a good home life. So if I give him a a good home feeling, he'll want to marry me, which starts us on this, this common um, theme that we see in older movies where somebody doesn't want to get married, but the other person wants to marry them anyway, which is by our standards today is really pretty pathetic. Right. Yeah. It's like you're, yeah. Um, because that happens with another character later. It's like, if somebody really doesn't want to marry you, do you, should you be convincing that person that doesn't sound like the foundation for a good marriage, but I guess it worked for Anthony and he's Sarah. So with him. So oh uh, <laughs> <laughs> I only asked her a few dozen times. Got to wear somebody down sometimes. 
Did she get? Did she have the the same level of enthusiasm that Elizabeth did when she committed later? Uh, pretty much. <laughs> so, you know, the only thing you can logically do at this point in time is write a letter to the owner of a magazine, remind him that he, you treated his daughter for measles, or granddaughter for measles, and then ask him to give this war hero a family the family experience he never had because going to some stranger's house and eating with them is going to make him want to get married it is a well, foolproof 100 percent guaranteed plan i don't well, see they anything that could possibly go wrong this family because he likes her recipes in the magazine he does he likes the, he likes elizabeth recipes, lane's recipes which Spoiler alert, are not actually hers. <laughs> she is not the cook she pretends to be. They are her, they are Felix's, who is essentially her adopted uncle, right? Uh, her adopted uncle, her honorary uncle, whatever you want to call it. He's so, a killer. Yes, there you go. So, so to that... avoid this scandal ruining her reputation and the magazine reputation, the concoct, she and her editor concoct this huge plan. Well, because the head of the of the magazine is like, yeah, I can make that happen. And basically says, hey, we're doing this thing. And that's when her editor and her are like, we got to keep up appearances if we want to keep well, our she's jobs. Ri- <laughs> she's written about being married, having a child, having yeah. this, this farm in Connecticut where all of this magic happens. And it's none of it true. <laughs> no. She's a liar, and honey. A dirty, rotten liar. The farm is beautiful, especially in the snow. Good night. That architecture inside, the high vaulted ceilings. I really wanted this in color, y'all. I want. Yeah. I would be curious to see what it looked like in color. On hundred percent. Yeah. yeah me Speaking too. of that, I got to pivot really quickly. I saw the the trailer for Macbeth, the Denzel yes. Washington Macbeth. Yeah, amazing. I want right? color in that too. I want to see the vibrant colors that don't exist because it's all in black and white and it made me sad. I heard the black and white is actually a boon to it. I haven't watched it yet, mm. but um, NPR's pop culture happy hour really, really, really liked it. Yeah, but they're Everyone bougie and pretentious. Really, really liked it. They are, I mean, but how can you not? But so am I. So maybe I'll like it. I mean, I'm gonna love it because Denzel's performance. <laughs> you, looked, you said looked it, amazing. not me. You're also pedantic. Uh, you know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I am self-actualized. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, <laughs> they decide to go through with this, and then we we cut to a scene. We meet um, Elizabeth Lane's pursuer, who she has told no, she will not marry him. Multiple God times. only knows how many times. They actually have a conversation where she's sitting around and she's like, well, I've just run out of reasons to tell you no. And it's like, no, you, you didn't. The fact that you don't want to marry him is the continual reason that you say no. But since you can't think of anything else, why not? <laughs> and I love they borrow the baby from next door to even pretend they have the baby. And this baby because is he's thought of, of everything. comedy because this woman elizabeth is not uh 
you would consider her a traditional homemaker from back in the day. She didn't cook. She doesn't do all that stuff. She doesn't even know the gender of the baby, yeah. the sex of the baby, because she keeps referring to it as a he when Robert. Really it's a she. Or it. Robert. She calls it it. Can we talk the about the movie? Can we talk about the creepiness of the interaction between him wanting to change and bathe the baby? Elizabeth and Je- and and Jefferson. I I don't know about y'all, but the first time somebody comes to my home that I've never met, I'm not and I'm not taking to the, to give my kid a bath and he's like, "Oh, it's time for her bath." How would you know it's time for her bath? Like, you don't know these things and then after the bath he's like, "Well, it's time for her to eat." This guy's his, got some issues, man. Like this is his weird. reaction when she said, "Sure, you can bathe her." Him, you can watch her, it. Yeah, okay. he's like, "You can watch," but still, his reaction was like, "Hot dog!" Essentially, like he was like overjoyed. And then she can't figure out how to make the diaper work, so she leaves this weirdo who's super into bathing a baby alone in the room with a naked baby. I, I found the interaction weird too. And it I, made me yeah. very uncomfortable. Like in today's in today's standards, that guy's on a list. Like you go Google list and he's telling people where he lives. He's telling the police where he lives every time he moves. Like this is just uncomfortable. We should but mention I mean, But back then, all the women in the audience were probably like, Yes, thank you. Somebody that helped. Because with back the kid, then he's a keeper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and we should mention she thinks he's a keeper for the moment. It's love at first sight for her. Oh, both of them for both of them immediately. Instant chemistry. Her especially, she makes no bones about hiding that fact with her little flirtatious overtures the entire movie. Which well, and he's he goes so far as to talk to the owner of the magazine that he's never met before to say, "Do you think she's happy in her marriage?" Like. I just met this woman, but I want to break up her her marriage with infidelity and take her away. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> or, Anthony's or giving this about, movie a 10. <laughs> how, how about, though, when he's she's still pretending to be married and she's like, tell me something. Tell me something, Jefferson. What would you tell me right now if you were, if I wasn't married? The cow what scene, right? Whispering in my ear. Yeah. Uh, she's like, okay. You sure don't what know a nice... you're married. Yeah, yeah, okay, and but that's my favorite scene in the movie because uh-huh. I love it because for some reason she bends over. I don't know if she drops something or whatever. And it's like, wow, what a firm rump as he hits the cows behind, and she like literally thinks she's talking. He's talking about her butt, like the way she pops up in the musical cue. I died laughing. That was so. That funny. was that was good comedy. Like that was, it was really good comedy, good comedy. <laughs> because it's not a. It's not what I was expecting for the time. Right. And B, they did it in such a way that you, that, you know, it's that, it's that I'm thinking this is going in a bad place, but oh wait, it's, it's good innocent humor. Although I don't know why you're slapping a, slapping a, a cow on the bottom and talking about its rump. <laughs> Just the way she popped up like a jack in the box to the musical cue and everything. I loved it. It's this night. It's Christmas Eve, right? They decorate this enormous so, tree, well, which is gorgeous. That tree is amazing. And that tinsel forget about it like i was uh, all for it tinsel not just for decoration <laughs> it was beautiful though that is what that is what my ideal image of a christmas tree has been since i can remember and this is what i really want to color but the one thing we forgot was for whatever reason i guess i guess sloan mr sloan john sloan 
um, realizes that he's got this very short window that Elizabeth has agreed to marry him in. So he's trying to rush the judge to his house to perform a super quick wedding to seal the deal because he really wants to be married to Elizabeth. Again, if you feel like if I don't marry this person right now, she won't marry me, that's probably not a solid foundation for marriage. I just want everybody to know if that's your mindset you're going into, unless you're one of the lucky ones like Anthony, it's not going to bode well for you. I mean, it, it is a cliche, right? It's that trope. It's not even like a cliche. People still make those jokes nowadays. Oh, you better uh, put a ring on it before you lose. Like, it's the whole, like, you know, get better say that I do before your chickens out and gets cold feet or something. Like, for some reason, this joke has been around for centuries. Yeah. Yeah. But they can't make it happen. And part of that seems to be at the conniving um, insistence of our vuncular Felix. He is trying to do what he can to prevent this. They're getting ready to get married. And he's like, wait, you can't get married without music. And for whatever reason, Sloan has a record of the wedding march. Um, But before they can do that... The other thing that, that's amazing about this film, I love how they show characters arriving. You just see this horse-drawn carriage continually going by the window. And it's like, oh, there's somebody new. There's somebody new. And it's perfect. Can we talk about Alexan- Alexander Yardley for a minute? Like the big boss? Uh-huh. What a horrible person. Right? Talk about complicating her wife even more. Oh, you know, <laughs> I just want the feeling of a woman. You know, the woman in the kitchen making me soup. Like, there's something about watching that. No, 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 no. The housekeeper can't do it. Can you do it? You do it. I want to watch. Like, well, talk about, like, that, like, uh, misogynistic, like, well, Felix is stereotypical male. Felix's response to all this, where she's like, oh, uh, it's okay. He'll be using my recipes. I taught him everything he knows. And Felix just looks mortified. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, the idea that, oh, you should go cook. Like, you've you've imposed yourself to come here. There are all these guests. She feels she needs to. She's the, the glue that binds all of this together. And she feels like she should be involved in the, in the, the you know, playing, ho- playing hostess basically is what she's doing and entertaining. And he's like, no, no, honey, back in the kitchen, go put on an apron, make me some food. That's terrible. That's te- it is terrible. It was very, I just like, can't stand this boss. Yeah, no, I did not like his character at all. Like I said, well, then I we have, go ahead. I mean, watching it now, I don't think you're supposed to, but I mean, even back then, I don't think you're supposed to. I don't like Job of the Hut, so I'm assuming not. Like, that's all I picture in my head now is just Job of the Hut in his role in this in this role. Who would be his little uh, that weird little thing that sits on the side that goes <laughs> the whole time? Her, her editor, her editor, <laughs> editor. Who, who's couldn't care about anything other than the fact that he wants to keep his job. Yeah. So we see a we have a scene like I had alluded to earlier where um, Alexander and Jefferson are sitting in the kitchen having um, helping themselves to food, and it's not like they just you know get up and have an apple or something. They've they've laid out this feast for themselves out of the, the kitchen and are eating chicken legs and um yeah they're just having a good old time. And this is where 
Jefferson decides to ask, Hey, you think she's happy or can I, can I get that? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a romantic trope, right? Mm. Even nowadays, it's a, it's a guy pining after the taking. We've seen it. Jim and Pam, Ross and Rachel. Yeah. It, yeah like, sure. even on TV. Like, so, was it, was he, did he want to spurn her into committing infidelity? Maybe. But how is that different from any of our <laughs> romantic male leads nowadays, even nowadays in TV and movies? <laughs> Well, and I feel like with movies like this back then, if they slapped romantic comedy on it, it's it's almost like anything goes, right? Because mm-hmm. you know that it's just all in light, fluffy fun. It's just all in light, fluffy, fluffy fun. Don't take it too seriously. I, it's fluffy fun. I mean, even now, you stop, you slap comedy on something. Yeah. I mean, we we talked about that with how did they get Scream down from NC-17 to rated R? Oh, view right. it as a comedy and not a horror like right. you, comedy automatically, you know, lessens the effects of something, the seriousness of something by calling right. something a comedy. Right. So, it just seems a little more drastic to me with movies in the 40s because the level of morality is brought down so much, right? Because it has a higher level of moral stakes back in this time that you slap comedy on it and you got a lot more wiggle room. Yes. Even with that. But I mean, I feel like that's also back then as well. You had all these specifically women being oppressed into marriages they don't necessarily want, relationships, yeah. jobs, everything. So there probably was a lot more of that, like, oh, if the right guy came around, I would leave my husband for him. Or like, you know, I do want the right guy to come and sweep me off my feet. I think it's yeah. just, it's a time for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she definitely wanted that. Right. Like you oh, tell she... that she was kind of pining for that type of relation for that to happen and it just never had. When they course. were outside the barn and the snow came down and knocked them to the ground, like nearly yeah. knocked them out. And the editor comes running out asking if they're okay and she's like, I'm more than okay. As she cuddles up next to him, like half delirious in her unconscious. I thought that was so funny too. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, you want to finish us out? So we have um, we have another scene where they go to a dance in the town because this guy is totally viewed as a hero. And with the war over or ending, um, he's like a... I prefer like a my war hero is not stranded in the middle of the water. I mean, <laughs> so he uh, they go to this dance and that's when Big Boss really starts to notice the like, these two are very close and he still thinks something's a mess right so they end up leaving the dance and innocently getting well i mean innocently quote getting in there because they're like totally digging each other in this moment <laughs> um they get into a sleigh that happens to not be tethered and so it goes it goes off and they get this lovely little evening ride in the back of the well sleigh. this is a scene i was referring to earlier well first before they even get into the sleigh he tells her it's his last night in town right and then they get into the sleigh, and she's like, she's essentially throwing caution to the wind here, because, you know, what do I have to lose Last at night. this point? That's right. This is when she says, like, 
you know, tell me what you would say to me right now if I wasn't a married woman. And I'm like, whoa, talk about being bold. That was this one. That's right. Not the cow scene. <laughs> so they're schmoozing over each other. Um, Big Boss tried to follow them and he ends up falling down a ravine. Not hurt or anything, but just like, you know. And uh, Although for a minute I thought he was going to get hurt because the music for a second went dramatic. I was like, whoa, this movie's taking a <laughs> turn. It's take a turn. And then it's only when he, it's only when he stopped tumbling that got wah, wah again. And I was like, okay, he's fine. So they end up getting pulled over by the cops because of the sleigh that was untethered and they thought they'd stolen it. So it made me laugh. But she's like, are you arresting us? And he's like, yeah. And she goes, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, super excited about that. And so they get hauled away in the cop car. At the same time, we've got Big Boss Daddy goes home to the farmhouse and is like, something is going on here. I need to tell somebody. But not before <laughs> baby number two that was being paraded around as this couple's pretend child gets picked up by his mom in the middle of the night, in the dead of the night. So, like, nobody sees her pick up the baby except for Big Boss sees somebody leaving the house <laughs> with the child he thinks is Barbara Stanwyck's. And so he's not just up in arms about this potential infidelity situation. He's up in arms because somebody stole that baby. And so he gets on the phone <laughs> and he tells the cops, you got to get out here right now. We have a missing baby. All the while, our avuncular buddy is like, oh, crap. Because <laughs> like he knows exactly what's going on with everybody. So he tries to put fires out. So by the time Barbara Stanwyck and what's his face? Because I don't remember. Elizabeth and whatever his name is. Get Jefferson. back from Jefferson. Get back from the police station. Oh, it was all a misunderstanding. Oh, thank you for understanding. Oh, it was totally fine. It was no problem, right? Just minor inconvenience that they were taking to the police station. They get home, and Big Boss is like, number one, why y'all flirting with each other? That's nasty. Number two, your baby is missing. Somebody has stolen And then they're the confronted baby. by the press. All of a sudden, cameras start going off in their faces. <laughs> That's right. So you would think it's a Chamberlain a baby who's gone missing. <laughs> everything is coming to a head. And it comes out that editor and Elizabeth made it all up. One, she's never been the person she presents herself in columns. And therefore, they carried on with the lie to protect him because he had committed them to something they did not ask to be committed to. And they didn't want to make the magazine look bad. And so Big Boss is like super annoyed with her and fires her straight away. Storms upstairs. Mm -hmm. At the same time, because of course we have to add something else on here. The sweet little nurse who is Jefferson's fiance shows up at the house to see Jefferson while Barbara St while Elizabeth is standing right there. So Elizabeth not only lost her job, she also has a broken heart now because she realizes the man she actually loves in the moment she's freed up from this imaginary marriage is engaged to somebody and like, but so was she, man. but so was she, but she's not anymore. But Jefferson doesn't know that yet. Right. So Elizabeth goes to her room to pack Jefferson goes to the kitchen or something. He goes well, somewhere. He, he learns that his fiance already married somebody else. Well, he doesn't learn that yet. So the avuncular character talks to the nurse and he's like, wait, you mean 
you're not here to tell him you're ready to get married. You're here to tell him you married his best buddy. And so obviously he's excited because that means Elizabeth and Jefferson can get together. Like everything is cleared, paved the way. So in the matter of 10 minutes, we have job resolution. Um, I got I to gotta get his real name because I just keep calling him. Okay, Sydney? Felix. Felix. Oh. Within the span of 10 minutes, Felix convinces Big Boss to not only give Elizabeth her job back, but to give her like double Z's on pay because you don't want to lose her. She's amazing and remarkable. He also gets Jefferson clued into all the information, what's been happening over the last few days. Here's the actual truth. And by the way, your fiance doesn't want to marry you anymore because she's already married to your best buddy. So you're free. And he also talks to Elizabeth and, or he sends Jefferson in to talk to Elizabeth and it becomes clear then that he knows the truth. She spills the truth. He spills the truth and they realize the, the road is clear and they can be, they can be each other's each other. They can be each other's lobsters. And so it's very cute. Happily ever after. Them coming together. <laughs> It just happens in like a. He did have a nice joke at the end where scene. he, where he was like, "Oh, I woo married women." <laughs> I like in the end that she's like genuinely bothered that he's coming onto her so strong, um, as a, an engaged man and her as a quote engaged woman, right? Like she's offended a little bit at the end. Um, even mm-hmm. though he's just playing along to kind of get a feel right for right who she really is as person all that stuff so it all ends up fine everybody's great she has her job back plus lots of extra money and they're like immediately getting married <laughs> they're like call the justice of the peace we want to get married like right now yeah, can't wait. Again, nope. can't wait. Gotta gotta lock that down. Lock down. We saw what happened last time they didn't move fast enough. That's right. I mean, it's clear they're quite in love, infatuated with each other. Yes. Let's not, like, date and make sure it's not just infatuation and it is actually, like, a nice foundation of real love and to, no. No, no. we're not doing that. When you, when you know, you know. I mean, we don't do that in these movies, though, so I'm really just being snarky. <laughs> But uh, this is not a Christmas movie, though. No, this is absolutely not a Christmas movie. No, it's it, a beautiful. It's beautiful. The music is is spot on Christmas music. The scenery is great. Christmas has nothing to do with what's going on. Yeah, it is. It is set at Christmas. Um, there is zero minus moment. Having said that, I think it's more Christmassy, and this is oh, here we go. Listeners out there, I think if if I was going to watch one or the other on Christmas Day, I would pick this over It's a Wonderful Life. I would not. I would pick It's a Wonderful Life over this one. I'm just not going to watch either of them. (laughs) Just won't do either. (laughs) Um, But having said that, I think it's it's as much as a Christmas movie as It's a Wonderful Life. Which, as in to say, I don't think either are a Christmas movie. So I don't know why. I think Matt, our friend Matt Yurick of TGI Podcast made a point. He's surprised 
AMC doesn't put this in their rotation every year with It's a Wonderful Life and with other non-Christmas Christmas movies like that aren't arguably like Die Hard and Gremlins and stuff that AMC also shows. Like, how did this get lost in the shuffle? Because it is set at Christmas, and that's usually enough for AMC. So I wish they would add it to their rotation. But I enjoyed it. I love these old movies from back in the day. I love especially Comedies of Errors. Those movies always. And whenever a TV show does a plot line like that as well, I love Comedy of Error in anything. Mm -hmm. So this movie, I really enjoyed this movie. And if it was a Christmas movie, it would rank pretty high for me. But it is not. Okay. Care to put numbers on that statement? You're talking to me? Yeah. Yes, I would care to do that. Just give me one second. We'll hold up a darn minute because I don't have the page open in my browser. <laughs> I'm gonna I give apologize. <laughs> I liked It's a Wonderful Life, and I gave that a 5.5 for the fact it's not a Christmas movie. So I'm going to give this a 5.7. What did I, like I a little more than It's a Wonderful Life. What did I give It's a Wonderful Life? Please hold. Yeah, and you gave it takes... a whoa! You gave it a nine point nine five. Hmm. <laughs> and Julie, that you gave it a five point right. eight. That doesn't feel right. Something was off that day, I guess. Huh. <laughs> Just like something was off the day you rated the stars so well. Yeah. <laughs> Star. And what did you give it? It's a Wonderful Life. I gave it a no, five point five. Oh, I gave this a five point seven. I gave it slightly higher. But they're around the same for me. I'm going to 5.75. Okay, this is loading very slowly. What did I give It's a Wonderful Life? You gave it a 5.8. Oh. So I'm going to come in then at a 5 for this one under It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, that gives us an average of 5.483. So we're all pretty close on this one. Okay. Hey, we didn't do favorite quotes and scenes, and I really only have one because it is one of the okay. moments that made me legit laugh out loud. So first baby is a little girl, um, dark hair. Second baby is not a little girl and is a blonde baby. And the baby's older. And so there's the gigantic joke, and Felix, you know, constructs this whole story that this baby has swallowed his pocket watch in order to mm -hmm. delay the impending marriage that she wants to get out of anyway. And so <laughs> she's freaking out <laughs> by this baby because this baby has swallowed a watch and will not stop crying. And so Yardley comes in uh, where the baby is and he goes, why that's strange. He looks different this morning. And she goes, wouldn't you look different if you'd swallowed a watch? And he goes, but he's a blonde. He has teeth <laughs> and he talks. Mr. Yardley, this is no time to take inventory. <laughs> <laughs> the delivery for Yardley on that was so funny to me and he talks because <laughs> the baby's sitting there going it's terrible dubbing by the way but the baby's like mama mama <laughs> it's like, a different baby that was a great this whole this movie was very funny mm -hmm. it was very funny it was cute it was cute it was super cute um so i i don't it think it would point... sorry tom I don't think it would be a big hit today. No. 
I mean, I don't think a lot of the movies from back then would be big hits today. Yeah. Um, so it comes in at number 52 in our list, just under Pete's Christmas <laughs> and just above Holiday Inn. Holiday Inn. Holiday Inn. And 20 spaces lower than It's a Wonderful Life, thanks to Tom's 9.95. Mm, still not sure about that. I need to go back and listen to that episode and see what I was thinking. <laughs> um, so I forgot to mention something when we were just talking random stuff at the beginning of the podcast. Oh, yeah? What did you forget to mention when we were talking random stuff at the beginning, Anthony? Uh, HBO Max's Peacemaker TV show, which James Gunn directed. Oh, good night. Do you like it? Yes. It's so good. And John Cena is like really not only funny, but like he has nuance and has like one of the best opening credits scenes, like opening credits, like themes ever. I will never hit the skip button over the opening theme. You know what we've been watching? (laughs) That's really interesting. What? What? Yellow jackets. Oh, I heard that's good. That's on my list on Showtime, right? Yes, and I will just say, Christina Ricci blows me away in it. Really? I love Christina Ricci. I still think it's a missed opportunity they didn't cast her as Morticia in the new Wednesday TV show that Tim Burton is doing. Yeah. Yeah. I just like when they do things like that. Like, if they ever remade Harry Potter, like, 30 years from now, 35 years from now, I think it would be cool if they brought back Rupert and Emma as Mr. and Mrs. Weasley when they're old. But I like when they do things like that. You know, also, I like like when we get recommendations for TV shows and movies and podcasts from our listeners, along with thoughts on movies we covered. And where can they do that? wherever they want no we have a link tree you can go to linktree.com slash tis the podcast and there you will find access to all of our social medias we'd love to hear from you well we'd also love if you would take just a few moments to please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts shoot us uh, an email text tweet anything at all and we'll send you a sticker just to say thank you for leaving us a review we haven't had a review in a while i'm not saying you have to give us a five star just be honest just make sure to send us your addresses on social media because we can't get your addresses just from your username yes and if you really like us join our patreon i have something in store for february just so you know for all of our patrons so hurry and get your patron membership in if you want to get something fun in the mail from us so speaking of fun, maybe next week we are, you know, I feel like we, we didn't plan it this way, but we are covering an Olsen twin movie next week, which is, you know, kind of nice in the wake of Bob Saget's untimely demise. Uh, we are covering To Grandmother's House We Go, which is when they were really cute or young, like five years, not five, but like, you know, under 10. Uh, so I'll be curious. I haven't seen that movie in years. I remember liking it, though. Not as much as Double Double Toil and Trouble, but I remember really liking it. Um, and the week after that, we are returning to 
the land of a Christmas carol, and we are covering Scrooge, the 1970 version. It's been a minute since we've It has been a minute. Scrooge. So, always excited to, you know, cover a Christmas classic. That's the Albert A classic one, Christmas right? story. I think so. Okay. All right. And y'all, they're under 11 months till Christmas. No. Yes. At this point, under 11 months till Christmas. I don't know if the countdown's right. We can say the countdown. It's 46 weeks. It's only 46 weeks, y'all. It's 321 days. 7,704 hours. So, we're getting there. We're under 50. Only three weeks till we're out of the 300s. I feel okay. like we're making it rush by, though. It feels so much faster when we talk about it every week. It does. Yes. Yeah. This podcast is lovely for that. It's All lovely right. for a lot of things, including the friendships and family that have evolved out. But it's lovely for the countdown. It is. <laughs> do your bye. homework bye. and say no. hi. Tom was actually going to do a proper goodbye this week. <laughs> First time ever. <laughs> If I wish with all 